Last, the last couple of weeks, um, kind of, we had our, our, our meal together a few weeks ago, and, the, and I feel like the Lord just put a word in my heart that was kind of surprised out of Philippians 2, and I'm not going to recap all of that. I think Derek has sent out to everybody the, the links from the last two weeks, but it did lead me into a, just a, um, a conversation with the Lord deeper onto something God's been highlighting in my heart about what does it mean to really like just receive the kingship of Jesus um, in my life at a deeper level. I don't think that um, while I'm walking on this earth, I'll ever be to a place where I stop growing in that opportunity to grow closer to him and to receive his kingdom and his kingdom, a kingship more. Does that make sense? Does everybody agree with that? Yes, okay. So, um, so this place, no matter where you are in your walk with Jesus, is a place that I feel like is a... Is, is something we can enter into now, but it's something that also gets added into those places of things hopefully the Holy Spirit will remind us of in an ongoing way. Uh, but as, as we've done that, uh, it's kind of brought me back to some core, core things about our church family, and I don't think that they're necessarily um, unique, but I hope that they're distinct, okay? And, and that's what I mean by that. Uh, it can be easy for us to uh, live a life, and I don't think anybody in this room wants this, where... Uh, we find interesting spiritual things to be entertained by, and uh, we call that following Jesus, right? Uh, but that's not that's not what Scripture teaches us following Jesus looks like. And so, um, there are a lot of different ways that you can do church. There's a lot of different ways. I think even biblically, you can practice the script or the, the things that Scripture teaches. But one thing that we have had a value for for the last ten years. And I hope we will always have a value for is we're not just looking for someone to give us good information. Our goal is that like we grow in our discipleship or our, our, our personal following of Jesus. Can everybody say followership? Our own followership of Jesus. What does it mean for me to be a disciple and not just rely on somebody else to do the spiritual homework for me and then give me their book report? Does that make sense? I promise you, it is not, um, it can be a better presentation if we just had, I mean, there's three or four people in the room right now that can give great presentations and deep teachings from, from God. And it would be awesome. And, there's, and those things can be really edifying. We can hear it and be like, wow, that was a great word. How many of you had that experience, right? You've heard a word, and man, that's great. But hearing great words is not what following Jesus is about. And I want us to take just a few minutes today uh, and, and it will set up, I want to I take a few minutes to say, look at this thing in James that will hopefully just remind us again that we don't want to just hear good words. We want to become doers of the word. So I remember I used to have a high value for getting into the word of God. I don't have anything bad to say about getting into the word of God. But what I began to like recognize, I need more than me just getting into the word of God. I need to get the word of God in me. It's good discipline and good habit for me to spend time regular, daily, encountering God in his word, me going to his word. But for me just to check off the box and say, well, I read my, you know, my devotional for the day is not really the ultimate desire in my life. That may be a step on that desire of getting God's word established in my heart. But it's not the, it's not the full expression of that. Would we all agree there as well, right? So, okay. So in James chapter 1, this is the brother of Jesus, and we're going to read a few verses starting in verse 21. 
Actually, we'll start in verse 19. It says, so then, my beloved brothers, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So this is, again, the context. This is the brother of Jesus, the physical brother, half-brother of Jesus. He is now writing. Who does, who does he write this book to? He writes it to Christians. Specifically, he writes it to Christians who were Jews, but they've been scattered. So that gives us a little bit of a hint on the timing of this, of this book. This is after persecution has been introduced and the church from Jerusalem has now been scattered. And can anybody tell me what happened as a result of that scattering? The gospel spread. They encountered persecution and then the gospel spread. So as the gospel is spreading, he's letting them know the importance of being swift to do what? Listen. Okay? Be swift to hear, swift to listen. Slow to speak, slow to wrath. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. This is something I talk about frequently when we're talking about the idea of justice. It can be very easy for us to see injustice and move in the wrath of man and think that we're fighting for justice. And in reality, we are been provoked by injustice, but until we come into alignment with God's heart and move in his justice, all the wrath of man can never produce the righteousness of God. We can join the, the chorus of dissenters uh, from so many different sides and never accomplish God's righteousness, even though we're awakened by injustice. Okay? Let's keep reading. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So he says in, in this passage right before, he said, be swift to hear. And then he says, receive the implanted word. Let's keep reading. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself goes away and immediately forget what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues it in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. Let me read that passage one more time. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit to help us get it in here. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Can someone... Put in your own words, what does this passage say? Just speak it out really loud. Well, in the one, it's a man looking at his natural face in the mirror. In the other, he's looking in the mirror and he's holding the perfect law of liberty. 
And so as a one, like in the natural, when we look at ourselves, we just kind of forget. But when we're looking into the perfect law of liberty, to me what that says is, I am seeing the face of Jesus in, faith, in place of mine, mm-hmm. and I am becoming more and more like him as I behold him. That's, that's really good. There's a beautiful parallel to that passage. Luke, are you able to come stand on your carpet? <laughs> I was reminded yesterday, this actually came from the nursery. This is not property of Luke, but... <clears throat> so can you be still? Okay. So Luke is going to represent the perfect law of liberty. Here's what I, here's what I am just... If I'm summarizing this, here's what I'm, what I'm hearing. Be swift to hear. Be swift to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to wrath. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. But don't be a hearer only. Be swift to hear, but don't be a hearer only. There's something about receiving the implanted word of God. It's different than just hearing it. Right? And then he, he gives us this picture. This is the law of liberty. I think this is reflective of this word, and I think it is more reflective of the word that is spoken about in John chapter 1. The word made flesh, who came to dwell among us. And we beheld his beauty. Like we just talked about this. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he talks about what happens as we behold him. The more I submit to myself to just beholding him, what's the process that takes place? I become like him. Why do we take time in worship? It is not because we like having long church services. It's not that just while we're playing music that can happen, and I'm not against us having shorter church services. But I think there are times we recognize that we have an opportunity to come and just put our eyes together on Jesus. And I'm all, guys, I want to be more disciplined in my life. I want to be excellent in every area of my life. But more than my ability to accomplish things, it never says I become more like him as I accomplish my list of disciplines. Disciplines are important, and they're part of the fruit of the, I, I believe being disciplined, having a disciplined life, is connected to having a life of the fruit of the Spirit of self-control. Not coming against discipline. I'm saying sometimes I think I'm my own salvation. And that I will become more like him by me trying harder. Does that make sense? Yeah. But what it says is as I come and behold my own self in the light of his face, in the light of the law of liberty, if I just didn't hear, it's like I come and I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, I need to work on that. And then I can leave. And I can leave and be distracted by the things of this world. I can leave and be distracted by uh, the enemy's schemes against me. I can leave and be exhausted by trying to accomplish what I saw in the mirror on my own strength. But for me to receive the implanted word, it requires staying here and becoming what Scripture calls a doer of the word. Say doer. Now how many of you know God wants us to be more than just doers all the time? There's a place of becoming like Him, but there's a process of doing the word in the process of becoming. Do you see that? Yes? No? Say that again. There's a process in me becoming more like Him where I'm a doer of the word. Right? That's the promise. What does it mean? This is something we came up with together. Um, the implement, and we came up with this together several years ago. We were doing a, a study in the book of James as a church family. The implemented word is the implanted word. 
by coming and staring at this, like, he's alive, he's moving. By coming and staying here, and not getting distracted by everything else, but surrendering myself to this. How many of you know that just the facets about Jesus in this book are more than we can figure out on our own? I don't get bored. He's Listen, whenever I hunger for him, he shows me something. And do I have the ability to be still and allow that thing that he is wanting to reveal to me to be implemented in my life? Or do I get drawn away? Does this make sense? Yeah? How many of you... Yeah, thank you. I would sit and do that and inevitably it would bring pain up in me, which would want which would cause me to be restless, which would cause me to want to go do something, anything but sit there. <laughs> and so learning how to release that pain, to let go of it, to be able to sit and look at that and um well, number one, let go of myself. Let go of whatever it is that, that is causing that pain. And he'll show me what it is if I let him. And allowing him then to give me the vision and his plan for, like, the future me that looks like Jesus. And then coming back and practicing that day upon day upon day, I then go forward and do it. That's good. It's very practical. How many of you can relate to Becky that sometimes whenever you look into the face of Jesus, you look into his word, something comes up and it's, it's painful, it's unpleasant. And that, has anybody else ever had the place that that makes you not want to be still? Right? Okay. Luke, you can sit down if you'd like. Yes. All right. So I want us to hold on to it. So the goal of the word or the goal of this word right now, what we're saying is context. We don't want to just hear a nice word and be a forgetful hearer. What value does hearing and forgetting do? What does the scripture say there? What happens if we're forgetful hearers? Or if we're only hearers? If you don't know, you can look at your Bible. It says. We get deceived. So listen, we live in an age, you can fill your life with great books, great podcasts, great teachings, and you can go, listen, I think it can be easy to get addicted to good sermons and never become a doer of any of them. It is way more comfortable for me to listen to anointed teaching and feel the the goodness that comes from hearing anointed teaching and never become a doer of any of it. I remember this one time, this guy, he, was, he, he walked in a, an authority, and uh, he was probably one of the first truly, um, where I can, I can look back and I can say, that guy walked in anointing. And I heard him preach this message, and he got up as he was saying, and he said this, and it sounded very brash, and I don't think he meant it to be, but I don't even like saying it out loud sometimes, because it's just like, oh, that hurts. But he said, I have to be very, he was going to be with us for like five days. He said, I have to be very careful what I share with you this week, because you already know more than what I will there. I was like, ugh, <laughs> I'm just gonna like stung a little bit. 
But he wasn't saying that to, to beat us up. He was saying that to invite us. Like, this is not about like I'm not fulfilled enough in my life because I, I don't know enough yet. And it can be very easy for us to think that we just we're just missing that one piece, and once we have this one piece, then we'll get it all together. And and in reality, it's like if we can come back to some of this like really simple foundational things. So the goal of why we've talked about this now is like I really want this idea of receiving the kingship of Jesus in my own life and for us together to be something that we can look and say, what does it look like for us to gaze at the majesty of Jesus and make room? And not just hear it and then go back home and whether you take a nap or watch football or go to the woods, forget what God is trying to reveal to us. Because if we are forgetful here, then we get deceived. The thing about deception is, it's not something you're usually trying to do on purpose. I don't know anybody who wants to get deceived on purpose. But this is what the brother of Jesus, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying is, don't just listen. Because if you do, you're going to get deceived. Right? So let's real quick turn back to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to just read a few verses here and read a few verses from uh, John 1. All right, is everybody ready to read Isaiah 6? Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. So I said, woe is me, I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts. For right now, we'll stop, we'll stop there. What is the picture that, that is given in this passage? Somebody who hasn't spoken yet today, use your voice and speak. really holy. What else is revealed here? The effect of the presence of God on us. Yeah, it's good. The effect of the presence of God on us. What is what's happening in this passage? What do you see happening here? So let's, let's talk about what the seraphim, what, what information do we have about the seraphim here? Be crazy. Why? 
what we would normally like. Oh, I'm just having a pleasant vision with some like beautiful whatever. Like it's no, it's like really intense of like wow, like these things, like their only job is like serve Jesus and like that's all they do. And like this is like the type of thing that like God has worshiping him. And it's just what grace Yeah, That's good. Mike, you said that six wings. What are, what are, what are they using those wings for? Um, well, it says two cover his face, two cover his feet, two he flew. And there's also the Lord upon his throne. There's what? There's less things, yeah? Also the Lord upon his throne. There's the Lord upon his throne. There's that. <laughs> okay, so with two, does anyone know why, why is it significant about him covering his face? Why is he covering his face? It's a holy woman over there. <laughs> so God to cover his face because of the glory of God, the presence of God. Anybody have any other ideas? I was really good about the feet. Anybody have any ideas about uh, why you would cover your feet? If not, we'll just stick with the holy ground thing as our, as our insight. Yes, John? Could be. Could be there's some implications from when Jesus is talking about the feet. I don't know where all the seraphim are going if they've got dirty feet or clean feet. I don't know. Yes, Angie. Your feet represent your authority. So by covering your feet, you're submitting that humility before God. Hmm. And the two, they flew and they cried out one to another. What else do we see? So we have seraphim. We have the fact that God is holy. We have the fact that we have an encounter. We are impacted when we encounter the presence of God. What else can you tell me that's revealed in this passage? I think it's interesting that it was in the year that the political, governmental figurehead was moved, was no longer there. There was instability. There was uncertainty. And in the midst of that, Isaiah saw the ultimate authority and the one who was still in charge. Yeah, I'll be very brief again. I've just been fascinated, I think, intrigued and invited uh, in my own intention, but I think the Holy Spirit's using just this idea I've had recently about coronations to like provoke my heart to hunger. And I brought a picture along today of uh, the queen being coronated. Um, check out that robe. Check out the train of her robe. It required the mistress of the robes and all the ladies in waiting. That is like a, a one, two, three, four, five, at least six or seven people just dealing with the robe and the train of the robe. I saw the Lord high and lifted up in the train of his room filled the temple. In the book, The God Chasers, Tommy Tenney writes about that word filled there and, and shares that like that word filled did not just mean filled, it meant filled and kept on filling. Like he's come and he keeps on coming. 
And I think this is important because what does it mean for us to receive his kingship? Is the part of his kingship is his glory. Part of this kingship is his majesty. And what does it mean for him to fill the temple of my heart? Steph uh, wanted us to sing a song last night we didn't get to about make room. You know, and um, it's easy during the Christmas season to think about the no room in the end kind of thing. But I, I think this year a lot of my attention has just been brought to what does it mean to receive his majesty? Like he's, I don't know if it makes sense. I can just like take the fact that God is royal and majestic and king and just kind of like, it's just a fact, right? And not be a doer of that word. Does that make sense? Yeah, no? Like what, all of the emphasis on the holiness and the majesty and the kingship of Jesus, what does that mean for me? If I just know it and walk away, I will be deceived and I will begin to try to take back my own rule in my life. But having regular encounters with the king and then inviting him and making room for, for me to receive his kingship in, in a growing way. In a growing way. I'm using the word kingship somewhat on, on, on purpose because it's different than kingdom. But really all I'm saying is really we could use the word kingdom and a kingdom can be such a kingdom thing to say. It's like it doesn't really mean anything to us. But there is a king who is worthy of ruling over every area of our lives. And what does it mean for me to position myself there? Anything else we see in Isaiah 6? All right, really quickly, let's turn over to John chapter 1. And then if you will participate, we'll just take a few minutes and read a couple of different scriptures together in smaller groups. So John chapter 1. So the question we're throwing out, what does it mean for us to just encounter the royalty of Jesus, encounter the kingship of Jesus, to, to recognize that there is a robe that is way bigger and longer and more majestic than the one that was just up on the screen? Like this is, listen, there's only 8,000 people in that abbey. Our king reigns and thousands upon thousands and thousands times ten thousands of, of saints and angels all gather and sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. Is it easy for you not to think that the world around you is full of the glory of God? Is it easy to get caught up by the things that are happening around us that are bad and pay more attention to that happening? and the threats to our culture than the fact that the whole earth is full of his glory. Is that true? Is the whole earth full of his glory? That's what it says. And I can, I, I can become more aware of the messed up brokenness of things around me and forget that I have been assigned to be a carrier of the glory of the King of Kings, the Lord of Glories. And I've been designed to put his glory on his Now, 
This is an important passage, and guys, all of this is really beautiful. Verse 4 is beautiful. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. See, it's normal and natural for darkness not to comprehend the light. But if we understand who he is and recognize his majesty and his royalty, we don't need to struggle to comprehend the light. John says in a book that he wrote a little bit later that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we will have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus is over us. We can have fellowship with God and and we can have this closeness with each other. Look down, though, for, for today, just to be brief, look down at verse 14. And the word became flesh. And dwell among us. How many of you would love for a weekend to go and see the throne room in heaven? How many of you think that if you could go and see the throne room in heaven, that you hope to think that would change the way that you live now? Like if you could just get one glimpse of him in the throne room, that would be it, right? How many of you have ever found yourself longing to be a part of of the crew that saw the cloud by day or the fire by night. And just thinking, I could only know where the cloud was going, I would know exactly what to do. Right? It's easy to think that. Or what it would it be like if we could be in the room when the 120 priests came in and they blew the trumpets and they shouted with one voice and the glory of God fell so much that the priests couldn't stand to minister. Would you like to be in that space? Let me tell you that you're under a better covenant than that stuff. And that was beautiful. That was the majesty of God revealed. But here is this new covenant. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. There is something about Jesus putting on flesh that was a better picture of the majesty of Jesus than what Isaiah saw. Listen to me. I don't know that we believe that. I don't know that I believe that fully. Like if I could choose to see what Isaiah saw or to watch someone making furniture in a carpenter shop, I think I would choose what Isaiah saw. But there was something about the glory of God being put on display in the fact that that this majestic God who is King of kings and Lord of lords humbled himself and put on flesh so that we could see his beauty. We could see his majesty. We could see his glory. And we don't need to be like the darkness that doesn't comprehend that light. We get to be awakened to that light. And and John says that we get to be witnesses of that light. And so I would present to you that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I love what, uh, I don't remember who was uh, leading last night, whatever it was said, like, talking about the life of Jesus. The fact is, he is still alive. He is living and breathing and moving. And we can know that theologically without really living inside of that truth. I can be a hearer of that word without being a doer of that word. And so then I get deceived, wishing for something that used to be instead of living in the promise that he has given me right now. He said, it's better that I leave. 
I'm telling you, there's been things that we've walked through in this last year. I would just, if you just have five minutes, look into his eyes and hold his hand. Say, can you just tell me what you want? I would choose that because there's something in my heart that doesn't yet fully believe that what he said is true, that it's better for me that he leaves so he can send his spirit. And that through his spirit, I can abide with it completely. I don't ever have to be apart from him. He said, I'm going to go away, but it's okay. Because I'm not going to leave you like orphans in this world. I want to send you the comforter. I want to send you the spirit. So what I want us to do right now is I just want us to take a few minutes. I thought this was important because I feel like it's important that we activate our, our, our digging. We activate our looking and we activate our asking. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. And you would not be a part of this church if you just expected somebody to hear anything against each other. I already know that. But can we take maybe 10 minutes to get into some scripture and we'll just take a few minutes to debrief what we say, okay? So here's what I'd like you to do. Can you get into groups of maybe five? Um, it's going to require some movement. And then once you get into those groups, I'll just give you a, a few scriptures that each group can uh, look at. And what I'd like for you to do is just look. These are scriptures that are about the majesty. Some are of Jesus. There's a few I've selected. They're about earthly kings, just so you can hear majesty. Uh, and it's, So get into your groups, and then I'll give you the scriptures, okay?